He's your curly handmate who's ready to go Nobody knows snow like reggae no snow He's ready to blow like an atomic reactor This is the show where we call it Chill Factor Talk on the pow, are you ready right now? There's icons galore and they're ready to chow We got more power than a snowplow tractor Jump in the clutch, yeah, this is Chill Factor G'day, I'm Reggae Ellis and this is the Chill Factor Podcast. I hope you like the new intro song, courtesy of my old mate Vaughan Blakey who wrote that and put it all together. Well, we're pretty well at the halfway mark of the uh, 21 season here in Australia and good to see the Victorian resorts reopen a week ago and those people who made it up were welcomed with some great snow. We also had some snow this week, so conditions pretty good across the Aussie Alps. Now, in this episode, I have a chat with Cohen Benny Fall, one of Australia's leading free skiers, Buller X champ, cover boy on the 2019 issue of Chill Factor and head coach at Hotham Free Ski. When we spoke a couple of weeks ago, Cohen was in Hotham during Victoria's lockdown where he'd been touring the empty slopes and enjoying what he describes some of the best skiing's ever had in Hotham thanks to back-to-back storms dropping 80 centimetres of snow. Now, I reckon it's fair to say Cohen is one of the more articulate and thoughtful skiers in Australia. And in the interview, we talk about his life as a skier, big mountains, fear, injuries, and what keeps drawing him back to his second home of Jackson Hole. Let's drop in. All right, Cohen, thanks for joining us here on the Chill Factor podcast. Thanks, Rego. Thanks for having me. So uh, you're down in lockdown in Hotham. Looking out the window here in Threadbow, we've got like, you know, that storm's coming in, fair bit of snow on the way. Um, what have you guys been up to? You've had plenty of snow down there, just been under your own steam. Yeah, it's actually, we've been pretty lucky here, you know, despite the frustration of being back in lockdown number 350 in Victoria. It's, um, it's been dumping snow the whole time since we went into lockdown. I'm looking out the window now, there's been another, I don't know, five centimetres and it's slowly coming down. My housemate just drove up the hill and said it was snowing almost down to a thousand metres. So um it's it's looking good and yeah we've just been touring it's sort of nice it takes away the the rat race of you know having to get up at seven in the morning to get fresh tracks you roll out of bed have a good breakfast put your skins on go for three laps don't see a track and it's you know mid-afternoon so we've had it pretty good here to be honest um you know everyone's been out and about and you can you can boot pack if you don't have skins, um, but yeah, the snow's been incredible, and this weekend looks like it's going to be on again. I mean, it's pretty weird times at the moment. Are you back up at Hotham? You're sort of um, they're running the free ski program. Um, had that started before? Yeah, yeah, we got going. Um, I guess it was a bit of an, an interesting winter. It was a bit of a rebuilding winter. It's going to still be a bit of a rebuilding winter for us. Um, we're a small community at Hotham, especially um, within the free ski club. And we've worked pretty hard over the last seven or eight years to build it up and create a program for kids. And um, last year put a bit of a dint in that. Uh, lost a little bit of confidence from families um, just because the resort shut down. Families yeah. weren't sure whether to come up here or, you know, didn't know whether they were going to come up here and have to lock down. And, and then school holidays rolled in and we started getting snow and we just started building. We, we uh, very quickly had our numbers back and things started to feel like they were on a roll. And then first week post-school holidays again, a bit more snow and families that were up for the holidays were like, okay, I think we're, we're in now. We'll, we'll book in for the winter. And so things were just starting to tick along and then this hit, which I guess is where a bit of the frustration lies. And, 
very engaged in the community and um, around a yoga class last night with a lot of the parents and kids and going to run a session, to, an online session today just to sort of keep everyone in the loop and keep the kids engaged. I've seen a lot of the kids out there skiing and building jumps and so that's awesome. Um, but yeah, we were, we're, we're moving along nicely now and, and fingers crossed that continues to roll. Families are still pretty keen, um, even more so now that they've been locked inside in Melbourne for two weeks. So fingers crossed it all, it all keeps rolling from here. Well, hopefully, uh, you yeah, know, that they won't extend it again and you guys will be out, out and about, you know, and you'll have your families joining you next week. So, um, look, going back, you know, um, yeah, you've been coaching at Hotham Free Ride, but prior to that, you're a ski instructor. So tell me, but how did it all start for you on the mountain? I know you've been skiing since you were a kid. Um, introduced mm. to it by uh, your dad, who's an enthusiastic skier. Yeah, so I guess I was I was one of the lucky ones. My parents weren't necessarily skiers when I grew up. Um, they both skied a little bit. Dad rode motocross and always loved doing outdoor stuff and rock climbed a fair bit. And then when I was in a playgroup when I was two, uh, one of the families uh, invited us all up here. They had a house and dinner plane and invited us up for the for the well, for a week in school holidays or something like that. And um, we all put on plastic skis and pushed down some cross country tracks. And I guess all the parents saw that we loved it, and we sort of started coming back from that. Um, and then I guess through my sort of early teens and stuff like that, we'd maybe be lucky to get three or four days in snow for the winter between here and maybe a day trip to Buller. Yep. And then um, it was when I left school, I think. Well, when I was a teenager, Dad sort of said, I, I really enjoy this. I think we should do it more often. Bought us seasons passes and we'd drive up and stay in the Harrogate Caravan Park and, and come up for day trips on the weekend. And by the time I was in year 12, that turned into pretty much every weekend. And um, my brother and I were both pretty hooked. So I finished school in 2009 and the Vancouver Olympics were on in 2010. And I was like, screw it, I'm going. I, I went over with a friend and travelled for three months through Canada and um, spent a week in Whistler and a week in Vancouver during that Olympics and then went back to Whistler for a while. Um, and then started here at Hotham that following season at 18 and got a job as a ski instructor and yeah. can't say I worked too much in those early years. I worked out that you could work, I think it was uh, two days, two full days of, of ski school afforded you your rent and maybe a hundred dollars of drinking money. And then you could take five days off a week. And I was like, this is the best job ever. So kept up with that for a few years and then, that turned into some overseas seasons. Was, was supposed to come back from uni um, the following year and called mum and dad and said, Matt, I'm staying over here. I'm having too much fun in Whistler. I'm going to stay for the winter and can I have $200 for the flight change fee? Because I'm pretty sure I had a absolutely nothing left in the bank account at that point. And, uh, yeah, the, I guess the rest just rolls from there. It's a pretty similar story to most, I'd say. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, then winter's... Winters between Hotham and Europe and Japan and it just sort of kept rolling and kept kept searching for new places. Yeah, so that's the classic start, you know, the young Aussie skier going to Whistler, you know, it's straight out. Yeah, pretty much. Deal. But um, then you came back, you ended up um, focusing on your, didn't you get, like your ski instructor, you ended up doing all the levels and becoming full cert? Yeah, yeah. Over the years, I guess I always pushed back a little bit against the, um, the ski instructor's mould. I... I enjoyed it as a job. I, I, my favourite thing about skiing is the freedom that 
the pair of skis affords you, the freedom of style, the freedom of terrain, and, and you can do it your own way. There's no, there's no um, one way to skin a cat, I guess. And ski instructing for me felt very much enclosed in a bit of a box and was told how I had to ski and where my hands had to be and how you had to do this. But in saying that, I, I got a lot out of it. I, I learned a lot as a skier, I didn't really get to train as a kid. I, I couldn't be a part of any of the clubs. There, there was no free ride program up here, nor could my parents really afford to be in a free ride program full time anyway. Yeah. Um, so ski instructing, you know, whilst it wasn't the kind of skiing that I wanted to do it, it, um, it, it definitely taught me how to ski. And, and that was my training, my early training anyway, and definitely made me the skier I am today. And then, um, it gave me the opportunity to, to coach, which I've, I've really enjoyed. I started off coaching in the race squad and then spent a year there and then moved over as we started a free ride club. Um, been coaching there for, I think this is season number eight now, coaching yeah. there. And, and that's the best job in the world. It's pretty awesome getting out to grip with a bunch of kids and, and ski around and see them grow and, and pass on knowledge and um, I use it sort of as my training time too. It's, yeah. you know, I get three months where I'm getting paid to go out in snow and, and, and train the micro skills and, and push myself a little bit. And then when I get overseas, that's my time to put it in practice. So it's worked as a, a pretty good little cycle for the last, I think this would be, had we not missed last winter, it'd be season 11 or 12, something like that in a row in yeah. Australia. So almost 24 winters in a row overall. Yeah. Well, you know, moving um, as, you know, you're not the stereotype ski instructor, obviously, and then moving into your own uh, fields in the back backcountry, free skiing, you know, overseas, all those years in Jackson Hole, um, dabbling in competition a bit. Um, I think I did an interview with you in Chill Fact a couple of years ago and I, I asked you about being a professional skier and you, you kind of said, well, it all depends on how, <laughs> how you look at being a professional skier. It's pretty hard in Australia. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think I think when I look at the idea of being a professional skier, as a kid, I sort of the, the films that I watched. I, I learned to ski through watching TGR films and MSP films, and you know, looking at skiers like Sage Catabriga and um, the Collinson brother and sister duo, and and Tim Durchy and crew like that, Micah Black, and and you know, they were just out there having a hoot of a time and, and it just looked like they skiing was their life. And so that's what I wanted to do. And then I guess the closer I got to that point, you know, started getting sponsorships and started earning a little bit of money out of my skiing. Um, I started to, to realize that where I was at was for me, in my eyes, that was professional skiing. I, I get to ski back to back winters and, I afford the time off in the Northern Hemisphere winter to be able to ski for myself and work on projects for myself um, and sort of push back against that idea of making it your, your full time and, and that's where you earn all your money from. Like, I really enjoy doing everything. I, obviously, I like to surf a lot. I like to skate. I like to rock climb. Um, and so I, I really enjoy having the time to be able to do those things. Yeah. And I think to be able to do those things, you sort of got to earn your money in other ways too, you know, if everything's fully reliant on your skiing, it, it takes a little bit of the fun out of it. Yeah. Um, I think, you you know, if, you, if you've if you done all those other things and, you know, I've, I've done a uni degree along the way as well and I think that gives me a lot of confidence as a skier and I think if I was to 
take skiing as my be all and end all, um, it wouldn't quite be the same for me. So yeah. I, pretty early on, I started to realize that, you know, what, this is as professional as I need to be to, to enjoy it the way I want to enjoy it. Um, yeah. And that's something that stuck with me for a while. But yeah, I, I guess you are right. In, in Australia, it's a, it's a different world here. You know, what's considered professional skier or what gets written up in magazines as professional skiing in Australia would uh, get thrown out the door overseas. But, um, you know, I, I look at it as, you know, as long as I'm having the most fun I possibly can, that's pretty professional to me. <laughs> yeah, sounds like it to me too. Um, now, you dabbled a little bit in competition. I know you went in a few free ride uh, world tour qualifiers. Were you ever seriously thinking about that? Yeah, I think when I jumped into it, I, I had a real passion for it. I really enjoyed it. I met a lot of really, um, a lot of a lot of my best friends in America through that circuit. Um, yeah. Two of which went on to compete on the world tour. One won the, the last year of the free skiing world tour, and um, you know, so got to ski and and still ski when I'm over there with some really high caliber skiers. I I think not growing up competing as a skier made it a really tough environment and. Not one that I don't, I definitely could have kept pushing down that pathway and I'm sure I would have had some success, but I, and, and I did have some success, I guess, but I, it, it wasn't really my mentality for skiing. I really enjoy skiing for the creative side of it. Um, and I found that I was traveling all around the States all winter to compete on hard pack and bow out and, and party all weekend to then travel to another comp and you know, it was calling Jackson home for the winter and it was dumping there the whole time. And here I am on the road, yeah. you know, sleeping under tape, sleeping under tables and, you know, yeah. finding the, the weirdest places to, to, to live and, and spending all my money just to party basically. And I was like, you know, what, I don't have a, a long time at this and I've got to be a little bit smart about what I use my resources for. And so I decided that following winter that I'm just going to spend a winter in Jackson and ski and, and film as much as I can. And um, it was definitely the best decision I ever could have made. And I still really enjoy competing from time to time. In Jackson, they've had this comp, the Kings and Queens of Corbett's, that um, started up. I was actually just looking at an Instagram post on Crazy Carl's Instagram today, talking about that first year in 2017. It was, you know, pretty far-fetched competition at that point. The idea of, you know, airing off the top of Corbett's, and that that was basically it was um, pretty beyond most people, but it was such a cool way to compete. Um, you know, it was it was more so like being out in the backcountry filming with mates. Yeah. You were, everyone was up there working together. We're all trying to help each other out. We're all trying to help each other build takeoffs and, you know, you know, jump each other up to pump each other up to uh, ski as hard as we possibly could. And um, I definitely want to do more comps like that and Buller X in Australia is another example of that. Well, it's funny more rider focused than funny you mentioned yeah. Buller X. I was talking to Harrow yesterday. He's getting a bit excited. He reckons a uh, good chance it'll be on this year. Um, it's filling up pretty quickly. So look out. You could de- defend your title three years after you won it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I actually saw a photo yesterday get put up with the bullish shoots and I was like, ah, they've actually got a bit of snow now. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, I'm always about a, a bit of Harrow froth contest. Um, I'm, I'll be there. 
it'll be the Harrow Froth gets it, and he's going to resurrect yeah, the hell. Yeah, yeah. So, so look out. Um, yeah, like I saw you in Jackson Hole. I think it was February 20, 2017. I think that was your third season. Then it sort of definitely became your second your second home. Yeah, big time. I, if if it wasn't for visa issues, um, that's where I'd want to plant myself. I'd. I've sort of been meaning to spend a summer there for years and years. I guess my job here at Hotham keeps bringing me back. It's it's much fun and the people here are too awesome, but that's definitely a, a second home for me. And um, I guess it's it's this town that, I don't know, it's it's not the end of the road, but it's you, you've got to put in some effort to get there. And I think that says a lot about the people that are there. People are there for a reason. It's not like, especially coming from my early days, doing seasons in Whistler and then did one winter in Nisico where especially for Australians, they're the Meccas, they're the Barleys of the ski world. It's, you know, direct flights, easy buses. It's pretty easy to get a job and they just get flooded. And it, it just sort of feels like you're, you're on someone else's path a little bit. Jackson is a little bit more effort to get there. The visa situation in America for Australians is a little bit harder. Um, and then the skiing there is just so much more wild than anywhere else I'd been. I, the first season I went there, I was only there for two months and it didn't even snow. Um, I think we had one snowfall on the 6th of February and then it didn't snow for the rest of the season I was there. And But I could just see what was there, I guess, and, and the people just welcome you in. There's a, there's this real sense of freedom there. Um, people are there to, to really get after it. And in the mountains, there is no end to possibilities in those mountains. You can do whatever you want, whether it be summer or winter, or, you know, especially when you get to springtime and you start touring up in the Tetons and um, there's so much there to be had. You know, you could ski every single day for an entire lifetime and you still won't even touch the surface in that place. So that to me was, um, was a bit of a beacon. I was like, sweet. All right, well, let's start ticking away. And, Unfortunately, visas have meant that I haven't been able to go back for the last few years and obviously COVID's put a spike in that as well, but I'm definitely planning to get back there as soon as I possibly can. Yeah, well, when you couldn't go to um, uh, Jackson, that's when you're up in Revelstoke those two winters? Yeah, yeah. So I spent, oh, I guess it was a winter and a half. I spent a bit of summertime there as well in 2019. Um, but I don't know if I could really call my last winter a winter there. It... Um, Look, it was it was awesome. I got all of two weeks skiing in, and then was back on the couch injured. Yeah, and then got some coach got some coaching in towards the end of the season, but spent most of the winter sitting inside watching it. I think it was, if not their snowiest season, one of their top three snowiest seasons on record. And sitting inside and watching it puke outside and shoveling out the truck for no reason was a bit demoralising. But I definitely got to go back there. My my plan was to be there. Um, with sled and and to be there for springtime when you can get up into the Alpine. So, yeah, um, I definitely need to go back and chase that tail. I guess um, I got I've, I've got glimpses of it and I've been there before, but I really want to plant myself there and, and and get what what that place is all about. I guess. Yeah, well, you're talking about that injury. Um, that was the 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 neck injury. Um, that was pretty. I know you've had a few injuries over your career, but that one that was a, that was a pretty scary one. That was a major injury. Yeah, look, I I think I've been pretty lucky to be honest with you. Like as I approached thirty, I look back and I I got injured really early on. I smashed some teeth in with my knee jumping off something when I was about eighteen, and then 
really didn't have many problems for quite a few years since then. I, I pretty early on recognized that if I want to ski the way I want to ski, I need to be fit and strong. And, um, and that's, that's really looked after me, I guess. But then, yeah, 2019, uh, look, I don't know. I spent a lot of last year lamenting over it and wondering whether I did this or did that, but I don't think you can really think about it that way. It's, you know, skiing, skiing, you're going to get hurt. And I just, I was lucky that it had had been that long in between injuries, but yeah, end of 2019 here and at Hotham coaching in September, I blew my ankle, had ankle surgery and went through a full rehab and got back on my feet in December, flew over to Canada on on the 23rd of December or 24th of December, I think I got into, into Revy and then had two awesome weeks of skiing. First few days felt a little bit shaky on my ankle, but um, very quickly sort of found my feet and then competed there. Unfortunately, had a fall at the bottom of my run. Um, and then that next sort of four or five days was just on and everyone was in town and um, definitely there was a lot of stoke flying about and, started pushing my skiing again and it was nice after spending three and a half months wondering whether, you know, especially with an ankle injury, it's a pretty big injury as a skier. And, um, and then I think I got, let my stoke get a little bit ahead of me one of the days and punched through the back of the takeoff that I'd set up on top of this cliff and um, didn't quite get the flight I needed and came around, caught tips, rolled to my shoulder and yeah, broke my shoulder and my neck. I had to get a heli backed out of there. And so again, another three months on the couch, but, um, you know, I think physically I was able to respond from that and, and get back to my feet mentally though. The last sort of 12 months has been a, it's been a big question mark over whether I'd want to get back to skiing. Definitely last year it was, I was pretty happy actually when lockdown happened and I didn't have to go skiing. I think, that was a big realization of where I was at mentally that I didn't really feel like I needed to be skiing. Surfing was a good release, but um, yeah, it definitely took its toll on me. And there were definitely some existential questions that come with putting yourself in a position like that, especially in the backcountry. Um, so, yeah. Well, you know, the type of skiing that you've been doing, like, you know, I suppose you describe yourself backcountry free skier, uh, working on projects, like you said, film photo projects. Um, it, there is, there's obviously an element of risk in all skiing, but that's um, element of high risk. Like you said, you know, like serious cliffs, um, things like that, speed in the back country. Like has that fall, that injury, have you, have you been, has it got you rethinking about your approach to skiing and what you might do next time you go to Jackson Hole or Revelstoke? Um, I don't think it necessarily has made me change my mind on what I want to do on skis. I think definitely I still want to keep doing the same stuff. And I think that's what makes me who I am or that's where I feel the most at home inside myself is when I'm able to push myself. I think with risky sports like that, you, you don't, you're not neglecting those risks. You're, You're calculating those risks and you're doing things that are on that precipice of what you can and can't do, I guess. And, and you, you play that out every time that you do something that scares you. I think fear is a, a really healthy thing. Um, and I guess it hasn't changed what I'll do physically, but it's definitely changed the way I do things mentally. I think I look back at both those injuries and I'm, I don't think that what I was doing was above myself. I think more so what I was doing, I wasn't in as clear a mind frame as I could have been. 
Um, and had I been in a clearer mind frame, maybe I wouldn't have made the same decisions. So I look at more from that perspective. Um, it's definitely given me uh, time to rethink my decision-making process. I think there was a while last year where I really didn't trust my decision-making process. When you go through two injuries in a row like that, where you sort of look back and you're like, well, I probably shouldn't have, um, or I, I probably could have noticed some of the external cues a little stronger and seeing those red flags a little stronger, you definitely question yourself. But at the end of the day, those sports or these kind of sports, you're going to get hurt. You're going to do things that um, push you into that boundary where, you're, you're, like I said, you're on the crest of what you can and can't do. So you are going to fall from time to time. Um, but I think mentally it's definitely forced me to want to be a little bit clearer in what I do. Well, okay, yeah, these you're coaching, as you said, you've been coaching Hotham Pre-Ride for eight years or something. These kids range from 12 up to 17, I suppose. Like, what do you teach them mentally? Like, how are you trying to coach them into, a, you know, their, their approach to risk in skiing, you know, be it jumps, cliff drops, or just, you know, speed in powder, whatever? Mm. Yeah, I guess we've even got kids younger than that now. This season we've got an under-10s group. Um, that'll be running most weekends, which is awesome too. Um, but I, I guess kids are very familiar with fear. Um, the best thing you can do, especially for the younger ones, is just open up the conversation about what fear is, like what brings on fear for them, and um, and then give them the building blocks that allows them to work through that. How do they how do they build confidence within themselves mentally that they will be able to notice whether or not they're doing something that's too far beyond them or not? Um, so I guess I try and get them to obviously have conversations with myself and the other coaches, but also amongst themselves. You know, I, th- I think it's really important that if you're there and you're with a bunch of your buddies and you're doing the same kind of stuff, everyone's going to be feeling similar kind of emotions. And if you can open the conversation and talk about it, quite often they'll be able to come up with the answers themselves too. Um, and then also ensuring that they're really conscious of um, – what they're seeing when they see fear, are they blocking themselves out or are they um, allowing that fear to sort of roll over them and make calculated decisions in that moment? Um, but then I think, I think a really important part of being a coach, especially in freestyle skiing and freeride skiing is that we put kids in those environments and create it as a, a safe open environment. We put the kids in those environments where they do hit that fear point as often as we can. I think the, the best way to learn from, fear and the best way to make good decisions is through experience. The more times you experience it, the more times you work through it yourself, the the bigger the toolkit you build mentally and physically, I guess, and the yeah. more confidence you have in yourself. If you know that you can do something, um, say it be a kid doing his first 360 for the first time, which is a pretty common one that a kid first hits that real mental block. If you've done it on trampoline and they've done lots of 180s and they've worked through that process and they know they can do it, then You've got, to, you've got to let the kids sort of build that encouragement within inside themselves and, and have that real positive self-talk inside their own mind. Yeah. And once they then land that 360, maybe it takes a few crashes, but they'll land it and they'll be like, ah, that's a big aha moment for them. And, and then from there going forward, they, they know what they can do in the future and they know how to deal with that situation. I, I don't think it necessarily gets any easier because you're always taking that next little step and trying something a little bit harder, but you... you you can fall back on past experience and work through it a little smoother every time. Yeah, those, yeah, 
as you said, there's the next trick's harder, the next cliff drops harder, the next, it's a, which mm. is one of the joys of it, I suppose. It's like any, any, you know, anything you sort of, as the challenges come towards you and you've got to accept them and, you know, meet them. It's what makes everything interesting, especially, in, you know, mm. do that in skiing, even, even as you get older, there's always a challenge in things like that. Um, now you spent a lot of time in the back country, that film, um, was it my wild home. Yeah. Yeah. That was one of the projects in Australia here. Yeah, so you did that, filmed in the uh, main range here in Mount Kosciuszko. Um, you spend a lot of time in the backcountry when you can. How would you just move off the mountain into the backcountry? How did that come about? Um, I, I'd started touring a little bit overseas in, uh, in Europe and then in Japan. And then I can't remember what season, you, maybe you'd remember it, it was the season that Boothie and Watkin, Teddy Laycock and Jock sort of put together that trip out to main range where they sort of oh, based themselves. The roof of Australia. Um, yeah. Roof of Australia. Yeah, and, um, 2014. Yeah. And Boothie had spent a bit of time down here at Hotham. Can't remember whether he was plugging crows or he was doing something anyway. And, and we'd been out skiing a bunch and he'd mentioned that they were doing that trip. Um, and I asked if I wanted to come along and of course I was like, bang, Boothie was one of my idols growing up. I've always looked up to his skiing and then of course Watkin and Jock and Teddy as well. And, um, yeah, got invited and went along on the last stint of that trip. We, when I got up there to Jindabyne, um, wasn't getting much reception from the guys. And then it was bucketing rain, I remember. And, and then all of a sudden Boothie said, Hey, we're, we're, we're coming out find somewhere in Jindy to stay for a few nights we're, we're pulling everything and coming out and we regathered and and um decided that we were going to go out and camp on the western faces and make our way all the way out to Mount Townsend yeah and I remember feeling way out of my depth on that trip I'd backcountry skied I'd never overnight camped in the snow before yeah um and I, I definitely never carried you know 30 40 I don't I don't even know how heavy those packs were that year we were we were eating eating pretty Gucci and I think Teddy had organised through a catering company that we, you know, <laughs> were eating bloody pork crackling and chocolate brownie. It was all pre-made and cryovac and so, it, you know, you'd, you'd pack your pack, put on your shoulders like, there, yeah, that's pretty heavy. And then Watkin Booth, you would come around with a litre of whiskey each and, and about three, four kilograms of food and say, here you go, off you go. Um, go carry that. But yeah, yeah, exactly. And I was scrawny little kid at that point um but yeah that was that was the spark I guess I didn't realize that we had skiing like that in Australia that was a huge eye-opening trip and um I've always really enjoyed challenges and that was that was a full-on challenge that whole week was it was it was a rewarding challenge we had epic weather um but it was long days and um learning about new equipment and we took out some ice axes and crampons got to some ice climbing and it was, it was, it was sick. It was, that was a spark. And I think every year since then, I've done at least one, if not two week long trips into the backcountry to camp in Australia, because I think that's where our premier skiing is here. And, um, yeah, spent a fair bit of time at main range, spent a fair bit of time now at Mount Bogong, trying to head back out there later this winter to work on a project too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty thankful for that experience that those boys offered me then. Um, they definitely, 
took my skiing in a direction I, I don't think I otherwise might have found. Yeah. Um, and gave me a, it gave me a lot of confidence to be able to, to run trips like that. So, yeah, it's pretty interesting how it has developed from, as you said, you know, you, you, you went over to Whistler to see what was going on when the, you know, the Winter Olympics were on, ended up staying there, did the ski instructor's course, all that sort of stuff. And now, you know, step by step, your evolution of a skier keeps changing. Um, I suppose the core of it is, ironically, or not so much ironically, still based on the, you know, the getting your level ones as a ski instructor, now coaching. Um, when you talk about the projects, you, these, uh, you initiate these through your sponsors, like the film projects, like, uh, is that what the plan is with Bogol? Yeah, half-half, I guess. Um, that project you talked about before, My Wild Home, was actually put to me through Arcteryx. In the first year I was skiing with them, um, Hayden Griffith and Tim Clark. Hayden's the filmer and Tim's the photographer on that trip. And they'd sort of always wanted to put together a project out in main range. They just knew that those faces needed to be shot in high quality and um, had always wanted to do something out there. And they put it to... Uh, a company called We Are Explorers. Yeah. And they then, they're sort of the middle ground between creatives and, and brands. And they, this is straight up our alley and then got me in the loop and, um, and a friend of mine, Will Nelson, and we were out there for a week. But I guess normally um, it's a combination between this year, um, I've, my brother's a filmmaker and we've been meaning to, do something together for years and years and years and finally sort of stars have aligned and I've kicked my brother up the bum and he's pretty keen to get back in the mountains. And um, so we're, we've been putting this project together ourselves and yeah. it still feels like it's a long way away and it's only three weeks away. We've still got a lot of work to do and um, trying to work out how we're going to do it and what we're going to do. But um, yeah, that, that one will be more self-driven. I think post uh, my injury last year that's something I want to do more of too is have a little bit more control and more of a directive role on what I want to do um, yeah. you know I, I think that's a really rewarding process just from start to finish to come up with the idea to going out and filming the project to then being in the editing room and putting it together and um, in the past a lot of film stuff I've done have I haven't had as much play in, which is, is fine because I've learned a lot from a lot of amazing people, especially living in Jackson and obviously filming with Harrow and TGR and, and all the photographers and filmers over there. You learn a lot. Everyone does it a different way and it's a creative process at the end of the day. And I think that's really important that you take on a little bit from everyone, and build your own toolkit. Um, so now it's going to be really cool to work with my brother where not only brothers, but best mates. And I think it's going to be a really fun, fun experience and hopefully something that um, will grow into something bigger in the coming, coming years. Well, it, well saying that, what, what's, what are your thoughts? What do you want it to become? I mean, um, you know, funding, does that come from your sponsors or your self funding? Um, the idea to commercial, it's a commercial venture. Uh, half, half. I, this one will be fairly self-funded. Yeah. Um, get a little bit of help being a COVID year as well. Sponsors, especially in Australia, there's not oh, yeah. a lot of money floating about. Um, but this one will be fairly self-funded and then hopefully we'll be able to show what we can do from this and, and grow it into something bigger in the future and, and take on bigger projects as we go along. Um, 
the idea behind this one this year is I think it's a pretty unique experience skiing in the Australian backcountry. And I think um, skiers that put the effort in to want to be out there are, are pretty unique individuals as well. You know, it's, it's, it's a bit more off the beaten path in Australia. I think overseas where it's a little more common, um, backcountry skiing's um, a lot more accessible. Just Here you do have kind of thing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Or, or you know, in in Jackson, you've got Teton Pass. You drive to the top and forty five minute tour, and you're out there skiing. There is in Australia, there are some good day tripping spots close to resorts here at Hotham and up there at Threadbow and and Perisher. Um, but if you really want to get the good stuff in Australia, you you've you've pretty much got to go out and camp overnight, which I think is, is something in its own. It's, it's, I think you need to, everyone that skis in Australia should give that a shot at some point in their life. But that's sort of roughly where the story is sitting at this point. We're still sort of playing with ideas, but you've, I've met some absolute characters out there camping, especially, um, you know, in main range and, and Bogong and Feathertop, you, you get out there and other people on the same path you know, sleeping in their tent for their two days off a week and making it work and then still driving back to the city to work. Yeah. There's some real, there's some real characters in that. And I think there's a real story in that. So we're going to pursue that. Well, it's a kind of the perfect escape from um, your day to day living. I mean, you mentioned before, like skiing for you has always been sort of an extension of a matter of self-expression. I suppose escaping into the back country away from anything uh, is an extension of that as well. Yeah, big time. You you don't, like I said earlier, now that we've got the lift shut here, you don't have to chase that rat race in the morning. And I think as, as soon as you relo- you know, lose those tangles and what you're doing as a skier, you can open yourself up a lot more and enjoy it a lot more um, yeah. in the backcountries. The, mo- the most stressful part of a backcountry trip is getting everything organised. As soon as you click into your bindings and put your skins on, that all falls away and instantly yeah. you're like, ah, I've done the right thing here. I'm in the right place. So. Yeah. I must admit like that intensity of like a powder day and the first chair hustle. I, I'm, um, I never get involved. I'm one. I'll look at, I'll wait. Okay. The first lot of people on the chair and then I'll walk mm. and, um, mm. Mm. and go up. So the first wave's gone. I just, I don't know. To me, it's, it's like, it's, it's a, you can start with a negative vibe. You know, people crawling over each other's skis and, you know, people leaving their skis at the front and going to get their coffee and then they get come back and get angry because someone's stepped in front of their mm. skis. It's, it's a weird thing, I reckon. I think it's, I think it's completely the opposite to why we actually go skiing. You, yeah. You're, you're a glass half empty the whole, the whole time. You're like, oh, you know, I just skied this, but someone else skied that and I didn't get to ski that and, you know, it just, just sort of defeats the purpose for, for my... If, if you're lucky enough and you happen to be out there, awesome. You yeah. Know, go get it and, and do it. But if it's ruining the experience, then just hang tight. The skiing's still going to be good. Yeah, that's you know, right. And if, you really, and if you really want to go ski proper untouched stuff, put on a pair of skins and go walking yourself and put the effort in yourself. I, I think it's much more rewarding process. Well, yeah, I, I share the same... I share the same view with you on that one, Reggae. Well, like you said, you can do it like here. You can it'll get tracked out and you can go up the top of Carol's and then Signature Hill is only a 20-minute boot pack, let alone a five-minute skin away. Then you can go and you'll have better turns 
than everyone who hustled and got down the chair at half past seven in the morning, you know? Um, mm, mm. Yeah. It always, guys, that, that hustle. You guys are the same up there. You guys are the same up there at Threadbow as we are here. You get those awesome windblown days. I think they're my, they're my favorite powder days because it's two in the afternoon and you're still getting untracked stuff and you, every lift ride, you, it blows back in again. You know, well, you know, you don't have that, you don't have that hustle the same way you do on a, you know, bluebird powder morning. Yeah. I'd take a, a windblown powder day any day over a bluebird powder day. F- funny you mentioned that. Cause, um, what time is it? It's nine o'clock in the morning. We've had a little top up. I'm not stressed because, uh, it's West Northwest up there at 40 K. So it's like <laughs> windblown powder day. So whatever time you get up today is going to be pretty epic. You know? but, yeah. Um, and let everyone, sk- let everyone ski their legs out this morning. It'll be better this afternoon. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, there's not many people up there. I'm looking at the super trail now. I can see about 20 people on it and about five on high noon. So it's, uh, you know, this shows you how many people from Sydney come skiing in the, the snowy mountains because they're definitely, uh, yep. definitely much quieter. Um, so, like, ski, you talked before about, like, you know, the skating, the rock climbing, the surfing. Uh, you didn't want skiing as a pro skier, in inverted commas, to um, dictate your life. Just how, you know, what's skiing do for you when you, just when you, you click in, what do you, you know, what's it mean to you? I guess it's my calm space. I'm, I'm a, got a pretty high functioning mind. I'm constantly thinking about what's next and what I can be doing here and creates a lot of anxiety in my mind and and skiing. I think ever since I was a little kid before I even knew what that was, has always been a place of calm for me. Um, You know, I, I, I worked out that if I could do what I wanted to do on skis physically, then my mind could, you know, lay still and, and I could just be in that moment. Um, and I think a lot of people speak about that same thing in climbing and, and, and surfing, maybe not as much skating, but, um, through those sports, it's, it's that exact same moment you catch a wave and nothing else matters except for, you know, that wall that's in front of you. Um, and in climbing, you, you, you know, climbing is a great example of dealing with fear actually. And that's something why I've got back into climbing a little bit more, especially since my injury, I've been trying to climb as much as I possibly can because it's a way to push that fear zone and and get back into that fear mindset without putting yourself in danger. Um, And one of my mates were climbing in the Arapiles earlier this perfectly goes when you got where your mind just wants to freak or it wants to run. Um, the best thing you can do is just focus on the next move in front of you because as soon as you focus on that move, all of a sudden it doesn't, that fear is not there anymore because you know, you can do that move or you know that you can work out how to do that move. And it's the same on a pair of skis. When you focus on the, the, those few turns that are in front of you, you can't possibly, it's going too fast. You can't possibly be thinking about anything else. Um, So it's always been that sort of element of escape for me, but also, like I said, it's, it's, I'm not necessarily a creative person in any other forms of my life. Skiing and surfing affords me a bit of creativity. It, yeah. it gives me a, you know, a, maybe a false sense of creativity, but a, a <laughs> sense of creativity nonetheless. Did you, um, yeah, obviously this is be an evolution. Like when you were, you said when you left school, did, what were your, what were your thoughts? Like what did you do at uni? What, what path did you think you were going to take? Um, and was it the one that's, got you sitting in Hotham talking to me and looking out the window and thinking, I'll oh, go to the uh, later. Definitely not. Um, 
I I don't know. I look back and, and definitely look at the decisions I made over my 20s and I'm pretty glad that I did make them. Um, not to say that the path I wanted to do when I left school would have, wouldn't have been as enjoyable. I'm sure I would have had an enjoyable time going down that path. But was it? when I left school, I, w- I, wanted to be, I wanted to be a doctor first of all and then um, sort of decided year 12, skied a lot and was like, oh, I kind of want to be in the sports. So changed and wanted to be a physiotherapist, got into a physiotherapy degree at Monash, and, um, which at the time I think still is, it was quite tough to get into and had to come back from schoolies week for an interview and put in all the effort to do it got into the course and then was always going to take a year off. And then, like I said, it was like January 2011 or something like that. And I was in Whistler and it was absolutely dumping. And I had a flight booked home to come back to start uni. And I remember it maybe playing in my mind for all of a, a week. And then it was very clear to me. I was like, ah, oh, no, I'm not going home. This is, <laughs> that's not what I want to be doing. I sort of looked at the pathway and I was like, well, it's, it's five years of uni plus a two years master's degree. Plus if I want to be in the ski industry, it's, you know, another three or four years of placement and building a name for yourself. And I was looking at going, shit, I might not be able to ski like this until I'm my age now, you know, I might be coming out the other end of it now and yeah. being a professional now be getting back into skiing, but I definitely wouldn't have done the things I've done in my twenties. No. Um, and so definitely changing tack there, left me feeling a little bit empty skiing's you know awesome but it's it's like all of a sudden i was going okay well what's next and i think that's where i started my skiing and was like do this i'm gonna do it do it properly um i remember telling my mum, i was like hey mum, you know this is the path i'm going down perhaps if i'm you know still going down this pathway in a few years time um i think even i said to her i was like oh i'm only going to ski for a few years and then i'll i'll go and do uni and i'll go back to the real world it's all right just okay, you know, yeah, maybe job. in a few years time if I'm still doing this tap. Yeah. Tap me on the shoulder and just make sure I'm, you know, just, just to remind me that I've said this to you. And she goes, okay. With a smile on her face. And two years later, she tapped me on the shoulder and she goes, Oh, so you're coming back to get a real job and still smiling. Mum's always been a, a huge supporter of me doing whatever I, mm. I really want to do, which is, which has been awesome. And I sort of turned around. I was like, well, I'm definitely not coming back to a real job. That's for sure. I'm going to keep doing this. She goes, you're, you're doing the right thing keep doing yeah. it. And I was like, ah, okay. That was a, that was a bit of a pat on the back, but I then ended up transferring and doing a, a business marketing degree. I just thought that I wanted, I really enjoyed sort of writing my own path and always wanted to work for myself and do my own things. And business was never something that I did at school. I was a science and maths kid, kid at school. Um, so it was like a, a whole new area of knowledge that I didn't have anything in. And, um, I look back at that decision now and I'm so glad I did it. Yeah. Uh, you know, there was definitely some tough years studying while I was on the road and working full time and, um, but making it all work and getting to the end of it now. And it's given me a lens to look at the world as well that um, I think has helped my skiing. It's, it's definitely helped my confidence. Um, so I, I'm glad that I've made those decisions at the time they weren't easy. And especially, you know, coming out of school, you feel like there's all these things that you have to do. Yeah. Um, and you realize slowly that you don't have to do anything. You do the things that you want to do. And I think that was a really important turning point for me. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's a big decision they're asking you to make, you know, like when you like Joey's like year 10, he's got to pick his subjects for year you know, 11 and 12 now. And he's going, I don't want to do, you know, it's hard for a 15 year old 
to, um, mm. you, know, the, you know, and the schools go, well, these are the decisions that'll set you on your path for life and things like that. Yeah, yeah. I know, yeah. In fact, that's not going to set him on his path for life, but, <laughs> <laughs> which is a problem, not a problem, but, you know, like it is hard. And like, I think, um, I think most people do make these changing decisions. So like, what you think at uh, 17, you're not going to be doing that when you're 40, hopefully, you know? No, exactly. And I, I think that's a really important point you make there that life rolls in stages and you can always chop and change what you're doing. You don't need to pick one path that will define you forever and ever. Yeah. There's always new, new elements of learning that you can take on. There's always new corners of your mind that you can engage in. You don't need to pick when you're in high school, what you're going to do forever. And I always had this fear that I needed to pick what I was going to do and didn't know what I was going to do. And, you know, thought I was pretty clever. And so I was like, Oh, I've got to do something that clever people do. And yeah, look back at that now. And it's like, I, I think you get a lot more out of doing something that you want to do and, and you'll put a lot more energy and effort into it and yeah. you'll learn a lot f- more from it. You know, there's no point doing a, a medicine degree just cause you can, but really lamenting the whole process and getting to the end of it and going, well, I guess I've got to do this now because I've put all this effort in what's the point in that? You may as well pick something that you want to do. And like for someone at Joey's age, you know, pick a subject that you really want to do because you'll give it 110% and then you'll get yeah. a lot out of that rather than doing something that you think you have to do and giving it 80% and, and sort of breezing over those one percenters that are really important. Yeah. Well, yeah, both my kids are sort of, you know, they want to go skiing, you know, so year 11 and 10. And as a parent, you go, well, you try and direct them, you say, but you don't want to push them down the uh, vocational guidance path. Cause I, you know, obviously I don't believe in that. Um, but you've the same <laughs> token. You wanted to take the education seriously, you know? So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of yeah, a- Yeah, I think it's, I think it's really important. I, I haven't necessarily used, I definitely haven't used my mind for the things that I thought I would when I was 17, 18, but, um, you know, having an ability to learn is, is really important even as a skier. Yeah. You know, it's definitely allowed me to, to coach the way I coach and take on other jobs that I do in summer and stuff like that. I, I think it's really important to exercise your mind. You, you can't put all your eggs in the physical basket and hope that that'll get you through. It'll get you so far. And for some it does. Um, but I think it's, you, you have a lot more fun if you've got the ability to learn. Um, and I think that's what school's more yeah. than, than what you, about learning how to learn. Yeah, and you know, and obviously, a life in the mountains isn't a bad thing. Not at all. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And you did say earlier that you're really enjoying the coaching. You even described it as the best job in the world. Um. Is that something you're going to be doing? That's what you're doing for the foreseeable future. Uh, like I said before, I think it's important to know that you're not always going to do the same thing forever and ever. But for now, I'm. Um, I'm definitely enjoying it. it. It allows me to be on skis um, as often as I possibly want. Um, and I, I really, now in a director role, I really enjoy working with the other coaches and, and creating the programs. And it's just a really rewarding process as well to see kids have those aha moments. And um, yeah. I, I don't take it lightly. It's a pretty, it's, it's a, a pretty role, or I, I guess, I feel um, very privileged to have the the role that I have or to have the influence that I have on on 
kids' lives and, and, and also to be able to share with them the passion that I have um, in a healthy way. I think it's, I think it's a great way to, to not only learn for myself about my own skiing, but also it's a great way to have influence on your community around you. And um, it's a community that's given me so much over the years. So I really want to give back to that as best as I possibly can over the coming years, for sure. I don't think it's necessarily something I'm going to do forever and ever, um, but I definitely will be skiing forever and ever. And I definitely think this is a, a worthy path in that, in that sense. In the past, uh, we've had a couple of chats about you doing like your own programs, like in New Zealand and things like that. It's, uh, you know, you, and yeah, in fact, you mentioned the business marketing degree kind of ties in with doing, you know, um, something like that. Is that something you might look at as well as the, the set program at Hotham? Yeah, definitely. I, we're, we've always sort of had big mountain as a discipline here at our program at Hotham free ski. And when you look at the way winter sports is funded in Australia, it definitely pushes down the Olympic pathways. Unfortunately, big mountain skiing isn't, and I don't think ever will be an Olympic pathway. Um, but like you were talking about before, there is a free ride world tour and, um, there's a lot of opportunities outside of competing as well as big mountain skiers. Um, I think it's probably the, the fastest growing discipline of, of skiing in the world, especially when you look at backcountry skiing numbers globally at the moment. Um, and so I think it's definitely a worthy pathway and we've got some talent here in Australia. We've, we've got a lot of kids that um, have got the skills, but don't necessarily want to be a slopestyle skier or a mogul skier yeah. that could could take their skiing all the way to the top, could be standing on that top podium at the Freeride World Tour or um, be filming with those top-end film companies around the world. And it's, it's a pretty awesome lifestyle. So I've been sort of working together with another one of my coaches here, Jake Woods, and trying to build together a program to hopefully try and create, a, I guess, somewhat of an Australian big mountain team where, um, you know, we – Australia is a perfect place to train, especially during these months of winter where it's snowing a lot and we can ski every day. Uh, and then we're right next door to New Zealand, which has the perfect playing field to be able to go over and compete. There's a junior series over there. Um, that's fantastic. And so, yeah, that's something I'm pushing to hopefully uh, as the doors start to open up a little more as COVID um, starts to hopefully disappear, we can, I can start running something like that. And that's something I'm definitely looking at um, going into next season, um, yeah. maybe basing it out of Hotham to start with, but then being in being in New Zealand for September or something like that. I think we've, there's, there's a lot of kids out there that would, would really thrive from that environment. Um, so well, yeah, definitely. definitely looking down that path. Yeah. Well, they've got those three junior events on in September. So then they all count to mm. the ride junior world tour. So yeah, definitely worthwhile. Uh, then it's funny, isn't it? Like Threadbow had a big mountain thing running for one year here in, you know, in the mountain Academy. Then last year, the coaches couldn't get here and things like that. But Hotham, uh, that's Hotham, you know, you guys uh, in the free school, you are the only ones who've sort of been giving that, that opportunity for kids to do something outside just slope style moguls or racing. Yeah, I guess, our terrain here really plays in that favour. Um, we don't have the best park here. We don't have, you know, Topper's Dream here for moguls. Yeah. It snows a lot here. We get a lot of wind blown, so keeping courses up to date is pretty tough as well. 
um, in saying that we work really hard at what we do have. Um, but we've got a lot of good steep terrain um, yeah. and got a lot of good features here. And so our day-to-day training is out there on the mountain skiing everywhere. And I think that lends um, towards big mountain skiing and free ride skiing um, really well. And, and also that kind of skiing is, is really fundamental for um, kids that do want to go and go down that slope style or the uh, moguls pathway. It, it gives them those all mountain skills that then when they, you know, say for mogul skiers, they come out of course, it gives them that cat-like ability to get back into course. You know, they've, they've, yeah. they've been there before. I think those all round skills are, are what give you the base to be able to go into any of those pathways. We've seen some real success from our, athletes in both slope style and moguls coming out of a resort that you know like i said we don't have the biggest and best park and we don't have topper's dream either but the skiing skills are there um yeah and and i um, think that's a real attribute to what we've got going on here all right before we go just uh last final question i'd like to wrap things up if you could be teleported to any ski run in the world your favorite where would it be In, inbounds or outbounds? Um, let's make it inbounds. Inbounds. Oh, tough question, Reggae. I I would, I'd probably have to say this. This is still inbounds, but it's it's a bit of hike to terrain. I'd have to be in in Jackson, um, and it'd be up at the top of the crags there. It's you know a short five minute hike to the top there and then you get top to bottom access open face skiing all the way to the bottom on a powder day that's that's my pick of it all right and what about in australia in australia i don't want to give away any of my secret stashes (laughs) but um i think uh either up in the extreme zone here at hotham either up you know, Gotcha Ridge into Lindsay's or Mary's into Coles Bowl would be my two picks. They, like you were talking about before, they get that awesome wind blown. Actually got both of those runs the other day with no crowds around. And I'd, I'd have to say they were two of the best runs I've ever had here at Hotham. So they would be the first go-tos there. All right. Well, I'll let you go. You can go hit them this afternoon or sometime over the weekend. <laughs> um, yeah. Thanks for joining me. Um, Colin. It's fun to chat and um, yeah, have a good year and let's hope things Get a little bit back to normal sooner rather than later. Yeah, fingers crossed, Reggae. Thank you, and, and thank you for your passion in the industry. You, you do a good thing up there, so we'll, uh, we'll speak soon. No worries. See you later. See you, Reggae. Well, that wraps up another Chill Factor podcast. If you enjoyed it, please rate, review, and share it with friends. We'll drop the next episode in a couple of weeks. Until then, I hope you get out and live and love Australian skiing. Find us at chillfactor.com. He's your curly hand mate who's ready to go. Nobody knows snow like reggae no snow. He's ready to blow like an atomic reactor. This is the show where we call it Chill Factor. Talk on the power. Are you ready right now? There's icons galore and they're ready to chow. We got more power.